I'm so thankful that my sin is under the blood. And boy, that devil shows up at times, doesn't he? He thinks in some way he has some control over us. And I want to let you know that there's been times that he's had control over me. But uh, thank God that I'm, I'm in a place now where every day, like the Apostle Paul says, I have to die daily of the sins of this world. I, I have to be charged up. I have to plug into God every day. I have to uh, make a conscious decision that today is going to be about God. It's not going to be about me, and uh, it is about the blood, and I, it's under the blood. Thank God for that song. I, I appreciate the music here. I appreciate the testimony of the musicians. I love your pastor. I appreciate his testimony, helping out with wounded spirits and all that he's been part of, part of coming down that hour and a half each way and being part of the video, just waiting around a whole bunch and eating greasy food. And, and uh that was quite, we had that one Jewish fellow there, remember him, that one guy wasn't sure, everybody tried to win that poor guy to the Lord that week, he didn't have a chance, and, uh, and uh, I don't even know why he was there, to be honest with you, we'll have to figure that out sometime, but he didn't make any videos, obviously, but it's so good to be with you folks. I was thinking today, as you know, you pray that God would give you the right messages to preach, and like most other pastors, I have at least 100 in my Bible, and my wife has a folder with probably another 100 in them. But at the same time, you say, God, I'm open to what you would have for me. Uh, I'm open for where we should go. I really, I want to be humble to God's word. I want to be humble to what God has for me. I found out a long time ago that I can probably talk somebody into not doing something for about a day, or maybe even an hour sometimes, but God can change lives, man. Uh, that the Holy Spirit of God can come into people and completely change them. And I want to be part of that solution. I want to be out of God's way. I want to be answered. I remember I was thinking the other day, my last time over at the VA hospital here in town, we have a little one there in Greenville. We have a clinic. But I'd come up a while back, and, and uh, we were in the VA hospital over here. And, and I remember there was a doctor showing us around, and we had brought some Bibles and some PTSD books. I remember we went down and we were in there as somebody with a traumatic brain injury. I'm not picking on anybody, but uh, we had went down to the area of people who deal with traumatic brain injuries. And obviously someone who had their uh, face pounded in a helicopter actually has a traumatic brain injury. As a matter of fact, when they gave me my brain MRI about four weeks ago, it came back and said, normal in comparison to the last couple, you know, uh, because the margins, get, they become a little different. But uh, I remember I was standing there, and a doctor was showing us around. He came around these three men, and uh, these three older men, and he says, I want to show you one of the things that happens to people with traumatic brain injury. And he went to the first man, and I, I'm not sure, I think his name was Bob, and he said, Bob, he said, will you tell me what 12 minus 9 is? And Bob thought for a few minutes, and he came back and said, 2,917. He went to the next man, I think his name was Paul, and he says, Paul, he says, can you tell me what 12 minus 9 is. And I mean, Paul used his fingers, all kinds of stuff. And he came back and said, Saturday. And he went to the third man and he said, Sir, can you tell me what 12 minus 3 is? And he just really went at it. I mean, it took him a few minutes and he came back and he said, 3. And the doctor said, Great, Ron. How did you know that? Know that? He said, Well, I took Saturday and subtracted 2,917. <laughs> so, uh, there had to be a joke in there. If you don't have a joke in three points, you're out of here, man. Yeah, you're gonna get the, you don't get to come back ever again or hang out with us. But I want to talk to you tonight out of the book of Mark, chapter 4. 
out of the book of Mark chapter 4. I believe there's a lot going on in chapter 4 that we could preach about, but God has me talking about that crossing there at the Sea of Galilee. At the beginning of chapter 4, we find the Lord teaching on the side of the Sea of Galilee. We know the Sea of Galilee is about the size of the island of Guam. Seems like it's about seven, seven and a half miles wide, 33 miles long. Uh, and uh, Sea of Galilee is always jumping around. It's always moving around. There's stuff going on. It's, you know, it's 680-something feet below sea level. And here's the Lord on one side of the sea, and he's teaching off. There's so many people, they move him on what they call a ship. We would know it as a boat. And, and they move him out on this ship, and he's teaching from there because there's so many people, the crowd's just too big. Don't you wish it was like that today? People wanting to hear and learn from God and his word. And, and God taught, and he talked about the parable of the seed or the parable of the sower. And, and, and God said, you know, we throw the seed out, and we know that the seed is the word of God today, don't we? And we know we have a responsibility to spread the seed or the word of God. We know we have a responsibility uh, to make sure we get that out there. But God said, you know, you throw the seed and sometimes, it, you know, the, it, the fowls of the ear eat it up. And sometimes it falls on stony ground and blows away. And sometimes it grows a little bit and burns up. And he goes through explaining what can happen to the seed. But one thing I like about that part of chapter 4 is he says, but sometimes... Man, sometimes the seed catches and it grows, and sometimes when we're throwing the seed of God, the Word of God out there, and sharing the gospel and those types of things, sometimes God grabs a hold of that man, and he grows it. Isn't it great? And I love that part of chapter 4, and I like about halfway through where he's talking about a candle. He said, we don't light a candle and put a bushel over that, and trying to understand what God's Word's saying there and putting it in perspective of 2022, first thing that comes to my mind is the cost of a candle a couple thousand years ago was like a week's pay. A candle was real important. You didn't hit a light switch. You, uh, you didn't have LED lighting. You didn't have, hey, Alexa, turn on the living room light. You know, We got Alexa. I don't know what I did without Alexa. Man, I don't even have to move anymore. You know, I can turn on the TV. I, I can sit there and turn lights on and off if... And uh, if I didn't eat, man, I'd be all set, you know. And Debbie only lets me keep so much food and so many bottles of water by my chair. Because I, I, if it was up to me, I'd put a little one of those apartment refrigerators right there. But, but anyway, back in the day, a candle was everything for those folks. It provided light for them to study scripture. Provided light for them to eat. Provided light for them to get ready as they worked in the fields. It, it wasn't something they took for granted. It wasn't something that burned all the time. It was something they used as little as possible because it was really expensive. Now, it was not like Yankee candles where you have a flavor and they burn up quick. It, candles were made differently back then. And, but candles were real expensive and really important. And the Lord says, he gives this example to these people who know, hey, there's a week's pay going into that candle. He's giving an example to these people who know, I need that candle to survive. I need that candle to study the scriptures. I need that candle to work with my family and uh, look my wife and husband in the eye. I need that candle. And he says, we don't light a candle and put a bushel over the top of it. 
He said, what a waste that would be to have the light of this very important, very special candle. What a waste of time and money it would be to put that bushel right over the top of that candle. And in today's idea, we, we don't take the light of God that's supposed to be shining through us born-again believers, that's shining through us people who've accepted Jesus Christ, who've been washed in the blood, who've been taken care of. We, we don't take and cover that up with a bushel. We want God's light to shine through us. So we don't cover all this up with sin. We, we don't cover all this up by hiding. We don't cover all this up by not pel- telling people what we believe and where we're going and what we're doing. We don't do that. We don't want to cover up the light. We never want to take away from the light. We never want to cover up the light. And uh, that's what he's talking about. Then we come to the point where the Lord gets all done teaching. Here in chapter 4, he gets all done teaching. And we find over here in verse number 34, but without a parable spoke, he went on, he would not unto them. And they were alone and he expounded all things to the disciples. So after he gets done teaching, I'm glad I'm not the only person in the world that needs double teaching. You know, it's just, it's not just me. The Lord taught to all of them, then he brought the disciples in and said, okay, remember we were talking about hermeneutics, or uh, we were talking about what you need to know to be saved, and he went through it again with the disciples. It's okay to leave a message and listen to it three or four times. It's okay to go home and read your Bible over and over again. It's okay to read your favorite book over and over again. It's all right. Because God expounded to those disciples. And then in the same day, in verse 35, when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over to the other side. And when he had sent away the multitude, he took him, even him, as he was in the ship. And they were also with him of the little ship. So to set the scene, the Lord gets done preaching. He gets on this ship. And he's, he's on this ship. And we're told there's other little ships. It's a it's kind of like the 4th of July fireworks when you watch on TV and everybody takes their boat out there in New York Harbor, you know, by the Statue of Liberty to get the best picture. And, and they go down there. I remember as a kid, we made the trek up there stupidly several times to watch fireworks. I don't know why. Someone always had to use the bathroom when there wasn't one available. There was always embarrassment going on on the side of a highway somewhere. It was just ugly, but we kept on going back. But people would put all those boats out there so they could have the best sight of the fireworks, all these other little boats said, man, I want to get closer to God. I want to learn everything he has to say. I want, and we got a bunch of people like that, don't we? I, I want to know about God on, on his terms and on my terms. You know, we make that statement. But then, but then God gets in a ship with those other little ships, and uh, he says we have to cross over. Point number one I want to share with you tonight. If God's going to do a work in our life, if he's going to change things, first thing we got to do in our life is pass over to the other side. Pass over to the other side. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. Would you open our eyes, our minds, our ears, our heads, our focus? Oh, God, we beg you, if there's one here who's not saved tonight, God, save them. But, Lord, for those of us who know you, as Pastor prayed, revive us. Oh, God, revive us. May we be alive. May that light that's from you shine brighter than it's ever shined. Oh, God, would you use us in someone else's life this week? God, would you use this as a beacon uh, to light somebody up? We don't want to cover your light, Lord. Help us. Lord, would you give us something from your word tonight? I'm thankful for these ladies and gentlemen who are here, given their time. And God, I pray that you'd reward them, you'd help them. Oh God, that you would take me, take those words that would not bring you honor and glory and strike them. Lord, give me words of praise and honor for you. Lord, this is your night. Help me in Christ's name. Amen. 
Amen. So the first thing we've got to do, if God's going to do a work in our life, if there's got to be a difference, we have to cross over. We can't be that same guy. You know what I found out when I got saved? It wasn't all done. I just didn't want fire insurance. I thought I did. I said, man, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want. Let me tell you about a Christian who's saved, thinking they can do whatever they want. They're the most miserable person on God's green earth. Trust me, I've been there. It's a miserable place to be, thinking I've got fire insurance, I'm saved, there's nothing else I need to do. Well, I found out in my life that's wrong. Boy, I was so messed up. I, and then when I finally got it, I started going to, I was going to, first Bible study I ever went to in my life was an extra Bible study at church on the book of Revelation. Boy, if that won't mess you up, nothing will. You're saved like three hours, you know, and you're in there, man, there were these horses, and praise God, and whoa. But man, God started using all that stuff, but you got to pass over. I found out I couldn't be that same guy. I loved the army. 26 years in the army, and I'll tell you this, best decision I had made up to that point was to join the army. I was 17 years old. My life was going nowhere. I was from the backwoods of nowhere in Connecticut. I know that when people think of Connecticut, they think right down the road from New York City. I was on the other end of the state. And we were like right down the road from Green Acres, man. 66,000 acres of state forest, 900 people in my town, two towns over to go to high school. And uh, that was just one of them that was available. Uh, I didn't know what a Walmart was. When Debbie and I first got married and stuff, we went out to eat Mexican food the first time together. Uh, we thought Chinese food was stuff you got out of a can. I mean, we were in the backwoods of nowhere. And I joined you. I loved the Army. The Army was so good to me over the years. And, and I get saved. And my goal is, I said, man, I, gotta, I go to college, I get a degree, I'm going to work for the Army. I'm going to make all kinds of money. Uh, I'm working on different things in the Army, working on that job. And man, I went to a missions conference. And this pastor got up there and he started preaching. And he started talking about how God had went to him and said, it's time for you to serve in my army. And God had come to me so many times. And, uh, and I'll never forget that when I said, you know what, God, it's not about me anymore. It's always been about me. The army's all been about me. You gave me a great career in the army. Every time it was time for promotion, I got promoted. I, I had a great life, a good wife, good kids. God, everything's good in my life. And, but I want to serve you, God. And, and uh, I remember the time came just like that. And I can remember about three years before I got out, I said, I'm getting out. As a matter of fact, I retired. I put in my retirement in the United States Army, and it was accepted. I was getting out. Then this war started, and they called me up and said, hey, we stop lost you. Essentially, what the Army can do is they can call you up and say, hey, Doug, you can't get out. Hey, thanks. Have a good day. <laughs> you know, and, and the phone conversation's over. So they stop lost me, which is essentially they called up and said, hey, you can't get out. It's this cool thing about the military a lot of people don't know about. It didn't bother me. The Army had been really good to me. Bothered this colonel across the hall from me. He was all bummed out. He was getting ready to be the city manager in Seattle, Washington. He was over there throwing things around. I had to, I had to have a come to Jesus meeting with him. But anyway, I remember I went to a low place in my life. And as I got alone with God and as I was dealing with God, God said, I got more work for you for this next year. You're stop lost. I can remember, I can almost name the 45 people that we were able to lead to the Lord that year. You know what God did is he stopped the brook for a little while. And he sent me down the road there in Heidelberg. And I, it seems like a week didn't go by where we didn't have someone in our house we led to the Lord, discipling them. And God doing these things. And it started hitting me that, hey, I can lay on the couch or I can be part of these people's lives. 
And I remember the time went by like that, and sure enough, I got a set of retirement orders, and we loaded up our house, and we got to help a, a missionary named Dave Morose. He had come over and planted a church over there. He's from Columbia, South Carolina, a retired military man himself. We helped him plant our church. I remember that year went by, and I had my retirement orders. He came to pick us up to take us to the airport, and there's so much involved. We were there during September 11th in, in Germany, all those things. There's so much involved with our feelings and emotions. We got in his car, and there was actually a van behind us with our baggage was a chaplain, and we took off for Frankfurt for the airport from Heidelberg. It was about 100 miles, 90 miles or 100 miles. And I remember we got in that car, and we got in the pastor's old BMW. There. We're going down the road about 120 miles an hour. Now, I remember this. And by the way, that's no big deal in Germany because everybody's got run flat tires. Everybody goes 120 miles an hour in the Autobahn. Little cars that don't go 100 over here go 120 over there. That's the way they're geared and stuff. And I remember my pastor and I were some of the greatest talkers in the, in the world today. And there wasn't a word said in that car for like 50 or 60 miles. And things that were said was like the pastor checking on the kids. How you doing, Douglas? My son, Doug. And, hey, Daniel. Debbie, how's it? And, I mean, I'm just sitting there doing all I could not to cry. But I told God, I'll go. I didn't want to get out of the Army. Honestly, there was something inside me that said, man, there's some great security here. There was something inside me that said, you got here at 17, and look what we've done for you. Uh, we've made you a leader of men, and, and, uh, and, and you're getting out of the Army. And... And, man, I remember we got to the airport, and we had no problems at the airport. It was weird because we expected problems with Delta and all these things because you're traveling with so much stuff. And Delta's like, thank you so much for your service to a country. Don't worry about the extra bags and stuff. We got them. Just go get on the plane. And we're like, whoa. I mean, God, we were so prayed up. And we got there, and it's going, getting time to go through customs. And I turned around, and from about here to the doors in this church was Pastor Moreau's and the chaplain who took our bags in his van. And I remember that Debbie doesn't mess around. Debbie was moving out. She had the kids, and I mean, they're going through customs, you know. They're already there, going through customs. And I turned around, and I looked at Pastor, and I said, Pastor, I don't want to go. And he started crying. And he looked up at me, and he said, This is what we do, Brother Doug. And he turned around, and he ran out the door. And I remember I just went to customs, and, and the guy said something to me in German, you know, and I knew what he said. I spoke a little German back then. He said something like, we're going to strip search. I just started taking my clothes off in line. He's like, no, you're in line. He's just like, go, go, you dumb Americans, you know. That's the best way to get through line without being strip searched. Just go. Just get out of here. And I'm crying, and Debbie's crying a little bit. The kids are kind of messed up. Why is Dad crying? And, uh, but, man, can I tell you, when you pass over, when you trust God, we landed that night, and we left early in the morning German time. We got back in time to go to revival service that night. I do not recommend that for people. We went to revival before we even went to the house that I had bought for us to live in. I told the assistant pastor picked us up. I said, hey, there's a revival going on. We're going to be in our place of duty, praise God. And he took us over to church. Man, it was rough, man. I'm telling you what, if looks could kill, my kids and my wife would have struck me dead 67 times during that church service. But that brother was preaching a sermon, and of course, you know, it was good for the morale of the troops, you know. Doug and Debbie just landed with their kids. They've been on a plane all day, and uh, they're in church tonight. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, Daniel was sleeping. My son Daniel didn't even pretend. He's like, Dad, I'm going down. I'm like, it's okay. You know, but I know this. Saturday came, and I drove to Danville, Virginia. 
my first sermon ever as a missionary. I drove across the state. I worked my way over there, and I got to Danville, Virginia. I got to the church. And I was at the church, and I gave my testimony. And I remember at that time, it was, it was the altar call time. And everybody was praying. The church was praying. I was praying. Our family was praying. I said, Lord, I said, I said use me somehow this weekend. And the pastor said, when you get done, I'll take care of the altar call. He said, you just, uh, you just call on me. As soon as I got done preaching, the pastor was laying on the altar crying, and I could see this guy coming up the aisle with a walker. And it was like taking him forever. So I went to say to the assistant pastor, hey, dude, we should help that man. The assistant pastor was over the pastor. His uncle that they had been praying for, as far back as the pastor could remember, he thinks 1951 is as far back as he could remember, to get saved, a World War II veteran, D-Day veteran. His uncle prayed to receive Christ. And he came down that aisle, and God let me be this much of a part of that because I crossed over. Because I didn't say, Pastor, take me back to Heidelberg. No. Because I trusted God, he let me be part of that. And I mean, there were a couple kids that got saved, and every soul matters. And there was five or six people that got saved, but I never forgot Uncle Bob. I never forgot the prayers, the years, the tears. He died two years later, and I got to preach his funeral. But God let me be part of that. What I'm telling you tonight is when you trust God and you're willing to get in the boat and cross over, he'll do some things in your life. You'll be amazed what he lets you be part of. You'll stand there and say, what? God, you let me be part of Uncle Bob? I mean, this is so much bigger than anything I can be in my life. And uh, God lets you be part of that. So pass over. You can't stay in that same place. I had to say, God, now God's not going to make everybody a missionary. God's not going to call every one of us to cross an ocean. But boy, God gives us opportunities when we trust him. Wasn't that long ago, Debbie and I were, uh, I guess, dealing with the Las Vegas Police Department. And uh, we were there not too long after the shooting. And we went out there to help people and to help them with their PTSD. We called it Operation Las Vegas. Our supporters and friends got behind us and they bought us plane tickets. They rented us hotel rooms. And we went out, we handed out 20-something thousand scriptures. We led, I can't tell you how many people to the Lord. People would say, whatever you do, don't go to the fire station because they'll call the cops on you. We went to the fire station, led two people to the Lord. Met a guy who had a Medal of Honor pinned on him by President Trump. Was showing us his pictures. They said, whatever you do, don't go to the university hospital. They'll call the cops on you. We got there and they're like, we've been waiting for you. We didn't know this, but they were showing commercials on TV uh, about the Wounded Spirits book. Somebody had was advertising that you should use this to help with your PTSD. 20% of the population was suicidal. Workers were thinking they were going to get shot on their way to work. It was like a mini September 11th right there in Las Vegas. But that never happens unless you go there. I remember I told a, a young man that his name was Dennis and uh, Dennis today is responsible for a, uh, a call girl group. It's just for prostitutes and, and people like that who've got saved and their life's changed. Debbie and I were in a church and, and this lady was tearing up the piano. She was just, it was so beautiful and so lovely that when we got done that morning, I remember I said, honey, we need to go over and say hi to the pianist and tell her how wonderful she played. So we worked our way over there and she said, well, thank you. I said, did you have training? She said, yeah, I went to Juilliard. And I'm like, whoa, and you're playing piano here in Vegas, and isn't that wonderful? And I'm talking to her. Come to find out, she was a call girl, and there was a man in her building who had crossed over. 
He told God when he turned 65 years old, anything you want. And God said, I want you to pass out tracts and love people. And he'd stand down there every day. She'd come out of her condo and he'd look at her. He'd say, you know, Jesus loves you today and so don't I. If I ever can do anything for you, let me know. She said one day she came down and she got there and she said, she said, where's the man who works at the desk here? And they said, he died. And she said, he's in heaven. I need to go to his funeral. And she got gloriously saved. And then she passed over. And then this guy, Dennis, he heard those things. He started that group. And they got a human trafficking group. They got a group that's just police out there. And man, there's so many police there. It'll, it'll just freak you out. People just coming together. And they're able to share together. Because they're each other's brothers. You know, they can get in there and not worry about who's going to say what or do what. And you say, well, how did all that happen? There was a guy in a, came to a church one night. We were preaching a message out there in Las Vegas, and he said, Brother Doug, I want to cross over. He said, I'm just an old guy, an Air Force veteran. I'm a chaplain in the police department, but I haven't done anything. Help me. I remember we prayed that night, and he had called me up and said, Brother Doug, I don't know what to do. We started another group. He'd call me up and say, this is Teresa. She was a call girl yesterday. Today she's a Christian. Talk to her. Wow. And he says, Doug, why is God using me? He's never used me. I said, because you crossed over. Because you said, God, it's okay. Whatever you want for me. Whatever you want for me. Dennis said, I've got nothing to give you, God. I remember I was at the altar with him. He said, God, I have nothing to give. But if you'll use me, I'll give you whatever I have. And boy, has God used Dennis over the years. And, and you see the second part of that, and it says, in the same day, point number two, in the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over to the other side. And folks, you got to pass over. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even him, as he was in the ship. And there were also other little ships. And there arose, in verse 37, a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. If you've never been on a boat that's sinking, let me tell you, I bought a boat one time. There's, I get these ideas. Debbie has kept me pretty clear of some of those things over the years since we've been, the last, what did I say, 14,230 days, she's kept me pretty clear of some of these things, but back then this guy sells me this purple boat. Now we had a guy named Doug in my town. He was a World War I veteran, and he told me, they used to call me Young Douglas, because he was the only Doug until he went to heaven. But he said, Young Douglas, he says, you know what a boat is? And I said, no, sir, what's a boat? He says, it's a hole in the water we throw money into. And he was right, man. But anyway, I, I bought this boat. It was a purple boat. I had an 85 Merc on it. It was a little boat. And I remember we were navigating all the waters. And I remember one day I, I, I met this girl and my best friend. And I said, hey, hey, I told this girl, you want to come boating with my best friend and I? She said, sure. So we went out boating. And we're coming up this river, the Stonington River, the Mystic River in Connecticut, going through Stonington. And we're cruising along. There was no depth finders back then. There was no warning signs. There was nothing like that. People just said, when you go by the old mill in Stonington, make sure you go to the right of the river. I didn't remember. You know, bam. Folks, you've never lived until your boat's sinking. That's all I'm telling you. I grabbed that. We had a can of worms in a three-pound Maxwell House can. I remember I threw the worms out and fed the fish and was trying to keep that. It was going. The boat was going, and so was my friend and the girl. They went one way. I went the other way in the river. It looked like a shorter way. I remember I was walking. I never saw that girl again, by the way. But thank, see, God knew I had the perfect one waiting for me. But anyway, I, I can remember walking down the road with my wallet up in the air. It's like, 
<laughs> and this guy picked me up and said, you sunk your boat out there by the old mill, didn't you? I said, I said yeah. I said, I'll give you a ride home. And he gave me a ride like 11 miles home. But this is what I know. When the water starts coming into the ship, it's a terrifying feeling. It wasn't all that cold that day. It was probably 50, 55 degrees. But it's terrifying. And the first thing I thought to myself is, man, those life jackets are really important. I hope I have one on the boat here somewhere. And, and man, you're trying to get out of there. And, and the boat's sinking, and that's where we are. And these guys are looking around. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee. There was no 85-horsepower Merc. There was no two-way radio. There was no horn can you could push to let other people know. SOS. There was no little river to shoot across. I mean, that boat is sinking. And he was in the hinder part, meaning Christ, of the ship, asleep on the pillow, and they awake him and saith unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, rebuked the wind, and said unto them, I, I like this, it, it said unto the sea, Peace be still, and the wind was ceased, and there was a great uh, calm. And I want you to know at this point there's one ship left. There's only one ship left. And that's the ship the Lord's on. It does matter what ship you're in. It does matter what God you serve. It does matter where the boat. You know, there's a ministry waiting over there in the nation of Gadara. There's people waiting for him in Gadara. There's a maniac over there in Gadara who's waiting on the Lord. There's people who prayed for him. And all those other little ships took off. So I want to share this point with you. And the second point is this. We need to face the storm and trust the Lord. There's three things that people do when the storms come. There's three things that people do when water starts beating in ships. There's three things that happen when people start doing these things. The first thing people do is they turn around and run. I have known people, have been some of the greatest Christians I've ever met in my life, like that man Lonnie I was telling you in, this, in the class this afternoon, went and knocked on his door, and the first thing he said to me when I told him I was from church is, I'm coming to church, I'm never missing church again, I'm getting right with God. The devil's had me under his control for the last 30 years. Blew me away. But you know what happened to Lonnie? He was always that great guy. Lonnie was always that guy that could do things around the church. He was always that guy you could rely on. He was always that guy that ministered to people. But he let the devil get a hold of him, and when the storm came, he didn't go to people and say, he didn't go to God, first of all, and say, God, carest thou not that we perish? He didn't even say that prayer. He didn't go to other people and say, man, we're, we're, we're sinking, you know, my life's up. No, he went home and laid on the couch. And three decades went by just like that. That's what a whole group of people does. The first thing they do when a storm comes is they hide, they run. I've lost some great church member friends over the year who've done that. Then there's another group. I think it's almost as bad as turning around and running. There's another group of people. They get stuck in the storm. They spend their whole life mad and angry and weirded out and in those bad places and, and in those terrible times. And, and, and folks, they get stuck in that storm and they're stuck there. And they fight. Man, this guy's wrong. That guy's wrong. They got a snarl on their face when they go to church. They got a snarl on their face when they're home. They're always right. I've been that guy. I've been stuck in the storm before. Just mad. Man, I didn't go to the right schools. I didn't do the right thing. I wasn't raised in the right family. And God stops me and says, shut up. You serve the right God. None of this other stuff matters. So people get, they get in that storm, and what do they do? They run. Second group of people get stuck in the storm. You know what the third group does? They face the storm and trust the Lord. 
I went to Kenya, Africa. Debbie will tell you, our lives completely changed after I went on a missions trip to Kenya, Africa. It was 1999. We were living in, in uh, Fort Drum, New York, and right outside the gate, we were members of First Baptist Church. And the pastor and I decided we were going to Africa. And uh, we raised up money, got the plane tickets, found missionaries we were going to stay with and preach to and preach with and be part of and love and care for. And sure enough, we got on a plane, we, we fly over, we go to Amsterdam, then somehow we end up in Nairobi. And man, we're tired, we get off the plane, and as soon as we get off the plane, everybody we run into says, I'm here to pick you up, I need money for gas. Somebody should warn you about that kind of stuff, you know. Man, they got the pastor for like 50 bucks before, I'm like, I don't think they're here to pick us up. They, they don't look like American missionaries, you know. I, I think we need to slow down, and not eventually, they lost my luggage. Folks, if you've ever been to Africa and they lose your luggage, here's the problem. When you, back then I was six foot five, I'm about six four now, maybe six, you get shorter. I gotta warn you, if, the, if, if I live much longer, I'm gonna be as tall as Debbie pretty soon. I'm gonna be like 4'11 before you know it, man. I'm gonna be right down there hanging out with her. But anyway, here I am. I, at that point, I, I wore 34 inch pants, kind of the same I do now, 36 inches long. And uh, all I had was one pair of pants, one shirt, and one jacket. And we hop in the car, and, and, and folks, we drive a few hours. And I have no clothes at all. I'm just trusting in Northwest Airlines. Uh, just trusting in them to provide and take care of things. And I get out there, within a day, i got a rip in my pants. By the time I am, no clothes fits the big, tall, dumb guy from America. Nothing. I mean, people are, I would duct tape in my pants. Essentially, I had duct tape from the waist down by day four. That's all I had. And uh, finally, I went to preach up by Uganda, and these people made me clothes that fell apart uh, about six weeks later, but at least I had clothes. The guy's like, oh, I'll make you a suit. I'll make you a suit, three pairs of pants, and seven shirts. I'm like, how much? $40. I'm like, okay, man. So he's measuring, and he did, but all that stuff fell apart. But anyway, it was ugly over there. And we go out and we preach, and so we're preaching. First thing they do is take me to Somalia. What can you do to an army guy on active duty to ruin his life? You take him to Somalia to preach. So pastor sick. He, they lock him up at the house, and we go out. We're going for weeks, man. I don't even see him. I didn't even know he was in Africa, to be honest with you. But we, we get down the road, and we go to Somalia, and I'm like, this guy's like, oh, we're in Somalia. I'm hiding my military ID up under the dashboard. You know, I'm not shaving. I'm doing whatever I can not to look like an uh, American military guy. And, and, uh, and we're out there preaching and all that. Before you know it, we end up, and there was a story every day. I mean, it was the craziest thing. We end up in this place called Simba Chai in Kenya. Uh, Simba Chai, it was like a lion and tea or something like that. It's a neighborhood, and there's one lion running around out there. It was my kind of place. You know, they, would, they had captured everybody. They would put them in these wildlife preserves. We're over on the Uganda border, and the chief of the town walks around with this tan suit on. I mean, this is out in the bush. There's no electricity unless you've got a generator. Um, and uh, the chief gives us an old 30 art 6 an M1, praise God. And he says, you guys can shoot the lion if you see it. Dude, I'm on duty, man. You know, all those years in the Army shooting things. I saw the lion. It was 50 yards away. I was missing it. And uh, I remember this one guy told me, he said, Missionary Doug, he said, that rifle was so good before we ran over it and had to pound it straight again. <laughs> and I said, well, that explains it. But anyway, I never got the lion. But this place was crazy. There were no lights. We end up on this farm of this guy who got saved. He had eight wives. And he sat next to his wives by rank. Wife number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 
Wife number one kept the schedule. I mean, she kept everything in order. She ruled with an iron fist, man. I'm telling you what. If you wanted to know what was going on with the husband or anything that was going on, you went to wife number one and said, hey, you know where your husband is? Yeah, he should feel sick. Wife six, go get him, you know. I mean, it, it was tough duty over there. But anyway, but what do you tell the guy? Get a divorce? He gets saved two years early. But anyway, he had eight wives. I'm freaking out with that. There's stuff that freaks out my ADHD, and that was among them. I kept on sending the missionaries. Man, this guy's got eight, but they're like, we know. He goes to our church, <laughs> you know. They're half our members of our church, just him and his kids and his wives. But anyway, we're out there, and there was this little lamb right outside this mud hut. And I remember the one day I woke up, and every time I'd come out the door, I'd trip over that lamb. <laughs> I'd, I'd trip over it and stuff, and it was just driving me crazy. So I, I told the, the, the master, of, you know, the father, I said, sir, every time I come out of my hut, I trip over that lamb. That night, we ate it for dinner, praise God. I mean, they boiled it. There's a, we can't let missionary. I, I kind of felt bad about the lamb, but it tasted pretty good. But then we have this sermon. It's the weirdest night. So we handcuff and shackle this guy, and we preach on bondage. We said, okay, and they said, missionary Doug, we're going to bind this guy with, with chains and, and cuffs and shackles. And when he gets saved, we're going to unlock him. A couple mistakes we made. We bought a Kenyan lock. And uh, we didn't try it. So anyway, I start preaching on bondage and how God unlocks the bondage and stuff. And I'm about an hour in. So I go over there and look, you know, hey, bring the key up. And they're like, oh, it's in. <laughs> and uh, about two hours in, I look over and I'm getting to the point where let's, uh, let's go ahead and unlock this guy. And, like, and I see him over there with a hacksaw. <laughs> and I see sparks flying. So I turn around and then I'm back preaching. You, you can hear, <laughs> so I start preaching louder. And at this point, I'm just reading out of the book of John. And if God says it, you better believe it. And, Amen, missionary Doug. And you know, the translator's with me. Translator was preaching a really good sermon because I'd say good morning. He'd talk for five minutes. And anyway, they're over there soaring. And uh, finally, they go like this. They give me the thumbs up. And I said, God will take you from bondage. And the guy stood up with his chains going. People are hollering and shouting. And, and I mean, God, I think, did a work through all that. And I thought it was a little bit sensationalistic. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit. But the missionaries wanted to do it. And people got saved. Felt good. We go back to the mud hut. There's no Facebook. There's no FaceTime. There's no Internet. There's no lights. And they gave us an orange soda to share that somebody drove 60 miles to get us. And uh, I had a couple yo-ho type of thing, yo-yo type of things in my bag that were all squished. We ate them. And we prayed for like an hour. And we're praying and I'm laying there on this pad on the ground. It's about 90 out. And as I'm laying on the pad, I get stung by two scorpions. It's like, ah! And I mean, I'm serious. It just, whoa. And I'm like, and my buddy, this guy who was a bongo player, obviously, in his last life, uh, bongo something, was one of the missionaries there. I'm like, bongo! I just got stung by two scorpions. I think I'm going to die. This is how he concluded his prayer. Guy from Springfield, Missouri. He said, and dear God, please don't let Doug die like that missionary did a couple of years ago. In Jesus' name. And they come to me, and I can't, I have no feeling in my left side. I captured these scorpions, I stood on them, and we put them in a bag, and I said, we got to go to the doctor right now, I have no feeling, I'm punching my leg, I'm jumping around, I got this weird feeling on my body, they're going to get people, they said, we can't call a helicopter unless you're really dying, you're going to have to wait till the sun comes out, it's going to be all right, we're going to stay up all night with you, and I said, listen guys, I'm freaking out, this is killing me, I may die of a stroke before the morning comes, we need to go to the doctor right now, they said, we can't drive through town, they'll, they'll rob us, beat us up, take the truck. They don't care about your scorpion bites. We got to wait till tomorrow morning. 
and you've got to be dying to get a helicopter, and it costs 2,000 American dollars, and nobody has that kind of money, and they don't take credit cards, and we're going to wait. And I'm like, you guys are going to stay up with me all night. They say, yeah. So I'm up, I'm punching my leg, I'm talking to these guys. Five minutes later, the first missionary is sleeping. I mean, he's completely out. He's laying down. He's all curled up sleeping. Ten minutes after that, second one, he's sleeping too. Right in the middle of the floor. They didn't need pillows. Enough. They're just sleeping. And I'm like, God, I'm dying here. I, I'm numbing my left leg. I got stung by two scorpions. I'm a member of the United States Army. All I wanted to do was come here on a mission trip. I don't want to be going through this, God. Please make this a bad dream. So finally, I decide I'm walking around the perimeter. I come out the lions, like right over there. I'm like, get away from me, man. There was no then I walk into the translator, and the translator's like, oh, missionary Doug, so good to see you. How's things going tonight? I said, brother, I got stung by two scorpions. I'm numb in my left leg. I feel like I'm going to die. I don't feel right. It doesn't feel like something in my system's going to ride. I'm afraid I'm going to have a stroke and die. You know what the translator said to me? Oh, good missionary Doug, I'll pray for you. And he left. And folks, all night long, I'm standing where that lamb stood, and I'm just looking up at the sun, and I'm looking around for the lion. I got a rock in my hand, and I'm like, God, please, let the sun come up. I just want the sun to come up, God. Finally, the sun started sneaking up, and you could see a sunrise. I went in there and kicked those missionaries, and we hop in the pickup truck, and this weird phenomenon took place. The missionaries decided they were too tired to try. And they went in there and went to sleep. And they said, don't worry, there's people on the truck. At this point, there's 22 souls on this Toyota 100 pickup truck with their steering wheel on the wrong side on the Uganda border, driving to an American hospital 90 miles away. And I start driving. And these guys would yell to me, Missionary Doug, wrong side of the road. <laughs> and I mean, they're laughing. And man, I, I'm numb and I'm going as fast as I can. They're like, Missionary Doug, we're trying to hold on, slow down. And finally, we make it to the American hospital, and I get there. And when I get there, there's only 21 people. I'm doing a head count. I'm an army guy. I said, dude, we're missing somebody from the back of the truck. Oh, he fell off about nine miles ago. I said, why don't you guys tell me? Because we'll grab him on the way back. It's okay, missionary dog. We need to get your leg better. And I'm like, whoa, you've got to tell me when someone falls off the truck. In the army, I'd be court-martialed for the missionaries sleeping on each other's shoulders and stuff. I go into the hospital, and there's a nurse in there, this big old woman. She comes up to me, and she's like, what's wrong with you? I held the plastic bag up said, I was stung by two scorpions, and uh, I'm numb on my left leg. And she's like, yeah, yeah, big baby. Wait over here for the doctor. And then everybody over there, doctor comes out, blood all over him. This guy comes out, and he's like, hey, buddy, hey, pal, what's going on? He's scrubbing himself over there. I'm talking to you. Is everything all right? I said, no, I got stung by two scorpions. I'm numb on the left side. I feel like I'm going to die. I think I'm going to have a stroke. I don't feel well. And he said, it's all right, buddy. He said, tell me about these scorpions. He said, were they brown, green, or black? I said, they were brown. He said, oh, green would have been the winner. He said, those are the youngest. And I'm looking at this guy going, what? And he says, is your skin falling off? All night people kept asking me if your skin's falling off. Come to find out your skin's your largest living organ. And when you get scorpions, two bites at the same time, it messes up your electronic rate. You got electronic stuff going on in your skin. Who knows God made something like that? It can mess them up and kill skin. Things can start dying. I'm like, my skin can be dying? Get over here. You know, and he's I'm going fast. And he come over and said, no, your skin's not dying. He said, I believe you're going to get your feeling back. But he says, you're already getting an infection. You've been rubbing that much? 
I said, all night I've been punching and rubbing it, man. I said, I think I'm going to die. He says, you're not going to die. He said, listen, he said, you need some, you need some antibiotics. And he said, you need some pain medicine because when, when your feeling starts coming back, you're going to be in a lot of pain. But he said, honestly, you look all right to me. So he said, I'm going to send you next door. I want you to get a bottle of Percocet and I want you to get a bottle of penicillin. He wrote this stuff down. He said, you don't really need a prescription here as long as you have money. He says, make sure you tell them you want expired American medicine, not African medicine, because African medicine's all heroin. You'll feel better, but you're not getting any better. And I said, okay. He said, maybe cocaine, depending on the batch. I'm like, okay. So I go in there and I said, I'll take expired American medicine. The guy's like, yeah, 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 40 bucks, real expensive. And he gave me like 10 or 12 Percocet and a bottle full of penicillin. I took a penicillin. I took this 10 milligram Percocet. And I mean, I'm flying. I mean, I'm high. So I go back and I find the missionaries that were sleeping in the truck. And I'm like, you guys got to drive them on Percocet. He said, you're in Africa. It doesn't matter. People had Percocet drive better here. And they go to sleep. Man, they slept. I said, don't you guys ever sleep? They said, we haven't slept in three years since the last missionaries were here. Just drive. They'll get you where you're going. So we start driving down the road. And it's like a movie to me. And I'm driving down the road, and I'm on, driving on the wrong side of the road. It's the wrong side of the steering wheel. We come along, and there's pineapples. It's like a dream. There's pineapples along the side of the road, and people are out there cutting them up and giving out samples. And I stopped, and I said, how much for the pineapples? And the people on the back are yelling, Missionary Doug, don't get more than a quarter of a pineapple. And I said, how much for the whole lot? The guy's like, 10 bucks. I gave him 20. So they fill all the, they're throwing all, and I mean, we're cutting up, we're eating pineapple. These missionaries are sleeping, I'm putting them near their lips and stuff, doesn't do anything to them. Anyway, I take off, we're driving down the road, get about 30 feet, and these guys are banging on the side of the truck. So I stopped the truck real quick, I thought I forgot somebody. And they said, no, missionary Doug, they said you gave the man too much, he wants to give you a cuckoo. And he gave me a chicken, a live chicken. I said, sir, I don't need your chicken, keep the extra 10 bucks. I mean, it's on me. It's okay. Our church gave us some money to come here. It's okay. I was going to give them more money at that point. And everybody's like, no, Missionary Doug, save that for Coke at the next stop. And I'm like, okay. So they put this chicken up front. Three people, two sleeping, haven't done a thing in, let's say, 38 hours. Does the chicken bother them? No. He pecks my legs. She pecks my legs. Yeah, she didn't make the trip, praise God. But we ate her that night, just like the lamb the night before. But anyway... Years went by, and the doctor was right. Boy, when that numbness wore off, the pain hurt really bad. And I did have an infection, and the antibiotics did work. The redness went away. I started feeling good. I had some bacitration, and, and everything went well. Years go by, and I'm in Columbia, South Carolina, at a missions conference. And this pastor takes me back to his house, and there's other missionaries there. And I got done preaching on that Sunday night. And I remember there was a missionary sitting at the table that just got in on Sunday night. And he looked at me and he said, how you doing, buddy? How you doing, pal? I said, I know you. I said, who are you? He said, I'm Dr. Joe. I said, what do you do? He says, I'm a surgeon in Kenya, Africa. He says, I'm a missionary over there. I said, you're not going to, he said, you're the guy who got stung by the scorpions. I said, that's me. He said, did you live okay? I said, yeah. He said, how was that pain? I said, man, it was bad. Well, anyway, I started talking to the guy. He wasn't lying. The pain was just terrible. But I remember I was talking to Dr. Joe, and this is what he said to me. He wrote a, wrote a book. He was with uh, uh, EBWE or ABWE, Association of Baptist, Worldwide Evangelism, whatever. But he sat there, and I said, how did you become a doctor? And he said, Doug, and I'll never forget this story, and I'm all done. This is how God helps people. He said, I was in California. And he said, my now wife and I were living in a commune. And he said, we were smoking pot. 
This is a shame when you think about it. And he said, we ran out of rolling papers, and it was my turn to go get them. And he said, I walked into town because we didn't believe in cars. We had parked them and hit them back in a field to buy these rolling papers, and I went by this church. And when I was going by the church, I could hear what they were doing, and I started crying. And they came out and grabbed me, and he said, I got saved. And he said, so I went back, and I got my now wife, and she got saved. And, 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 and we moved to the church, and we had an old Volkswagen microbus. We got it running, and they gave me money for gas. And they said, you need to go to your family. And he said, we drove from California to South Carolina praying, don't let this old bus break down. We slept on the side of the road. We spent a couple days in Wyoming because of a bad rainstorm. And he's going through the whole story. And we got home, and I got a job. And he said, I went to this missions conference. I get baptized. We join a church. My wife and I get married. We have a kid. He said, God's doing a work in our life. Everything's going great. He said, I go to our missions conference on a Wednesday night, and this man says, is God calling you to do something? Are you willing to pass over? Are you willing to do whatever God tells you? And he said he went to the altar that night. pastor went through this big, long list of people at Grace Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina, Went through a long list of people up there at the front of the altar, and he got to him. He says, God calling you to do something? He said, yeah, I think God wants me to be a surgeon in Kenya. And the pastor looked at him and said, you never even graduated from high school. He said, I know, isn't God great? He wants me to be a doctor. I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I went and I got my high school diploma, and I was working at a paint plant. I went to school, he said, about two-thirds of the time, and after five years, I graduated from the University of South Carolina with a pre-med degree, and I applied to all these medical schools, and not one would accept me. I, I spent all the money we had on applications, and nobody would accept me. So I drove down to the, uh, the medical school in, in Columbia, now in Charleston, South Carolina, in Muzak, and I went to the president, and I said, sir, I said, what would you do if God was calling you to be a surgeon, and you couldn't get into medical school? And he said, Brother Doug, he said, God sent something that day through this man that changed my life. He said, I'd do it all again, so your grades are good enough to go to medical school. And I said, what'd you do? He said, I did the last year of college all over again. He said, I got a loan, and he said, I stopped going to work, and I got straight A's, and I applied back to that medical school, and I went and told that president, I did exactly what you told me, and for the last 12 months, I had straight A's. And the man said, you're in. He said, I went all through medical school and became a general surgeon. I, I went through my residency in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, he said, God was doing work. I had my own practice. We had a Mercedes Benz, a swimming pool, had this big, huge home. He said, then we went to church. My wife said, we haven't been to church in a long time. He said, we went to church on a Wednesday night. And this man got up there and said, maybe God's calling you to do something. He said, I fell to my knees. I went to the altar and I said, God's calling me to be a surgeon in Africa. So I went. You see, folks, God's the only one that gives do-overs. God's the only one that can do anything with us. Number one, when the storm comes, you can turn around and run. You can do all that. Or you can pass over. You can get caught in that storm. You can face the storm and trust the Lord. Last point. Look what it says here in verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, those disciples got out there, and they're like, We saw him heal Peter's mother-in-law, but maybe 
Maybe it was just one of those days. Maybe, maybe, maybe the weather changed this right. Maybe she really didn't have this terrible disease. Maybe, maybe God just got there at the right time. Maybe she needed some rest. But when he stilled the water that day, you know what those disciples did? Those disciples got there, and they feared exceedingly. They were scared to death. They said, look at the God that we serve. Point number one, you've got to cross over. Point number two, you've got to face the storm and trust the Lord. Point number three, we're all done. You've got to know who your God is. They feared exceedingly, said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know what the problem is we have sometimes? We're not in God's book seeing what manner of man he is. We're not studying the word. We're not living his word. We're not plugging into God. And we forget sometimes that the God we serve is the God that can still the Sea of Galilee. The God that we serve is the God that can completely change things. In Acts 17, it tells us he's the God that knows the before and the after times of our habitation. The Bible says he's the God that hears our prayers. Yet so many of us, so many of us don't ever read